If you've got a Bible with you, if you'd like to turn to John 14, that's where we're going to be basing ourselves this afternoon. We'll read it shortly. Um, But before we get there, I just want to talk to you about ideas and concepts and things in our head. Because actually ideas, the, the ideas we have and the ideas we hold is so key to interpreting life, to walking through life well, to living life well, and living it before God. Having the right ideas changes everything. Even when our circumstances may not change, if the way we look at them and process and think about them changes, it can change how we feel, how we live, the choices we make, so that we can live more effectively for God. Now, we're going to look at that in more detail as we go through, so that doesn't quite make sense. Don't worry. Let me give you some examples of it, though. So when I, was a, when I was a kid, my granddad used to say to me, school days, the best days of your life. School days, kids, school days, the best days of your life. Yeah? And every child here is going, what are you talking about? We have to go in five days a week. We have to do learning. We have to be as we're told. We have to do exactly what we're told. We can't do much at all. It's, oh, it's boring. School. Some people would say school is boring. But some people might say school is boring. For me, I wasn't a big fan of school. And my granddad coming to me with this idea, school days are the best days of your life. I couldn't get my head around it. I stand here before you now, agreeing with my granddad. <laughs> school days, some of the best days of our lives for many of us. Because there were no responsibilities. There was great opportunities to learn. You hung out with your friends all day long. School days, the best days of your life. If I, understood, if I had understood that when I was younger, I could have enjoyed the school experience more. I could have made more of it. Does that make sense? Here's another idea. Well, I'll give another example. When I was at, when I used to, in a work situation, I had um, a colleague who I really thought didn't like me and I thought was horrible to me. Now, just to point out, that was in a previous vocation. I currently work for the church here, so it's... <laughs> Helpful to clarify that <laughs> when I was in the civil service. And, and so everything that person did, I reacted against straight away. What are you saying that for? What are you saying that for? I, th- I thought he was criticizing me. I thought he was negative about me. That was the idea I had. He ended up line managing me. He was one of the best line managers I ever had. And he became a friend. And he became someone who donated to us our carry sack for the girls. And he, he gave us a Hamley's teddy bear that he sent through when Isabel was born. That's the nature of his affection towards me. But I thought he didn't like me, so I reacted to that. That was my idea. You don't like me, so what you say means I'm going to react in this way. But it wasn't true. The idea was wrong, if you like. Now, we're in a, a series at the moment... Um, called It's All About Jesus. It is totally Ron Seal. It is all about Jesus. So I make no apology today that we are going to be talking about Jesus. Yes. And we've just been singing about Jesus. And we've been looking particularly at the moment as the I am sayings. So if Jesus is, as the Bible says, the Son of God... God's messenger on earth, God himself, part of the Trinity, then what he says about himself is important. It's not just important, it's very important. So we're looking at these because these are important statements. 
Jesus came to this earth to reveal who God was and provide a way of salvation for us. So when he speaks about himself, we really do need to listen and try and understand what he's saying. And today, we're looking at, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it's important for us to get hold of that. Now, before we read the passage, it's really important, too, to get hold of the context. This is a significant moment, a really significant moment. It's the Last Supper. So Jesus has gathered his 12 disciples in an upper room. They're having a meal together. It's his last chance for Jesus to impart wisdom and knowledge and information and ideas for them to navigate life in the coming days and years without him. So what he says here is even more important, if you like. We need to listen even more about what he says about himself. But what he's just revealed to his disciples has shaken them. He said, someone's going to betray me. I'll be turned over to the high priest. I'll be killed. And you, you 12 round the table with me, you will desert me. You will disown me. You will run away from me. And Peter says, in classic Peter style, not me, Lord, I'll go with you to death. And Jesus says, you, Peter, three times you will disown me. Three times. The disciples have just been presented with new ideas, new information. They've got new information about who they are and how they're going to behave. They might have thought they were all right. They might have thought they were okay. But you've also got amongst their number people like Simon the Zealot. He was a political activist. He was expecting and hoping that Jesus would be an all-conquering military and political king. He wouldn't just be the Messiah in the sense that he would be a spiritual king, but he would be a total king. So he's joined and become a disciple, and he's hoping Jesus would be that. Many of the other disciples would have had an idea of Jesus being all-reigning as well. Not just defeating the powers of hell, but defeating the Romans who were occupying the country at that point in time. And Jesus is saying to them, I'm going to die. They're shocked. This is not what we signed up for. This is not the plan. You're not, you're not that. That's not who you're meant to be. And we're not that. We're not the people that walk away and betray you. But this is truth. This is what's going to happen. These are the ideas that Jesus is presenting to them. And then we read, let's read the passage from verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. I just want to draw attention to the first few words. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Jesus has just presented information to them that has troubled them. Now, the word troubled here, it's like a, a picture of a smooth, still pond that has suddenly got disturbed, or a, a sea where a storm has suddenly come on it. He knows that what he's just said about his role and what's going to happen to him, about them and how they're going to run away and disown him, that's troubled them. It's upset them. 
their peace, the stillness, has been disturbed. And Jesus, in this passage, speaks to their trouble. He speaks to their troubled heart. He speaks to the pond that has been disturbed. He speaks to the sea where the storm has arisen. He speaks into their trouble. And this is my confidence and my prayer this morning. That Jesus would speak to our trouble. Are you troubled this morning? Is life not, not quite the way you want it to be? Is there something in your spirit and your heart that's not quite right? Do you look at your life and think, ah, is it really meant to be like this? Are you facing circumstances and difficulties and you know you're like that pond that just ripples everywhere and you want it to be still? Jesus comes to speak to our trouble. And we're going to go through this passage and see what he says and the ideas he brings to his disciples. And we're going to take them on board for ourselves this morning. But before we do that, I just want to pray for us. Jesus. I thank you that you're here in this room. I thank you it's not just me and my words, but you can speak to hearts this morning. I pray we'd be ready to receive what you have to say to us. I pray you'd make yourself known in the midst of trouble this morning. And I want to pray you would speak powerfully into situations in order that our hearts may no longer be troubled. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. So we're going to look at a few things that Jesus says to still the trouble, to calm the storm. And he starts off by saying this. He says, you believe in God, believe in me also. Now, do you not think that is a strange thing to say, bearing in mind he's standing in front of them? We talk about we should believe in Jesus, but that for us, that's a, an idea of someone who we can't see. But for them, he's standing in front of them. So what does it mean? Well, in, in James 2.19, we read this. You believe in, in one God. Great. So do the demons. So he's, Jesus is not saying, don't believe in my existence. He's not saying that is the key thing here, just to believe that I exist. There's something different. And I, wanna, I need a little bit of help to demonstrate what this word really means. So I need someone to come and help me who, who I'm comfortably able to carry their body weight. Will, stay where you are. <laughs> I, I'm strong, but not that strong. I'm looking, Elsie, would you help me? Cool. So, when he says believe in me, we sometimes think about belief and following Jesus, sometimes like this, that he holds our hand and shows us the way. That's true. Sometimes we can believe it like this, that he just holds us close. That's believing in him. But the word here is, is, has a real strength to it. And it, the word is all about putting your whole weight on something, relying on completely. So when Jesus says, believe in me, he doesn't just say, oh, believe in me because you can see me. He says, believe in me because I'm trustworthy. I'm solid. You can put your whole weight on me. And there's no issue with me carrying Elsie. There's no issue... <laughs> With Jesus carrying anyone here, even Will. 
Will can put his whole weight on Jesus. He can believe Jesus. He can trust him. Thanks, Diane. He can rely upon him. You can put your whole weight upon Jesus. That's the starting point. It's the foundational point when it comes to the trouble, the waters being stilled. We have to put our whole weight, our whole trust on him. You see, that's, that's what a, a Christian is. Now, kids, I need your help again. Anyone guess what I'm trying to be? Monkey, that's, no, no. Sam, a chicken, yeah, I didn't even lay an egg and you guessed. Just because I flap my wings and make quite an effective chicken sound, I'm sure you'll agree. It doesn't make me an actual chicken. I think you'll agree with that point. Just because you read your Bible, just because your parents are Christians, just because you hang around with Christians, just because you come to a church every Sunday does not make you a Christian. Jesus says, you believe in God, believe in me also. He's saying, put your whole weight, your whole trust, put everything in one bag. Put all your eggs in one basket to combine the metaphors. Trust completely in him. It's the fundamental basis of sorting out our trouble, putting our whole weight on him. What else does he tell us? He says he's preparing a place for us. Now, recently over the summer, we redecorated our two elder girls' bedroom. It took twice as long as planned. We took off fitted wardrobes, and behind there, the plaster work was awful. There was big gaps and holes, and so I you know, sucked it up, and I had a go. I plastered it. It wasn't great, but it was all right. It was okay. It was passable. Then we took the wallpaper off around the window, and as we did that, the underside of the window fell out. I thought, well, I've done a wall. I've done a wall. I'll try and plaster the underside of the windowsill. It went okay. I'll be honest, not perfect, but it went went all right. It took a long time, but we had an underside of the windowsill. It looked all right. We painted it. We put the furniture back in. I put the blinds and curtains back up. Jules comes in, stands there and goes... The blind's wonky. And I look at it, I was like, the blind's not wonky. The underside of the windowsill is wonky. The blind's fine. My handiwork wasn't sufficient. My preparation for the room wasn't great. I couldn't do much about it. I couldn't change it. But we hear this. Who's preparing our room? Thank the Lord it's not me. (laughs) Jesus is preparing a room for us. Jesus is preparing a room for us with the Father in heaven. Jesus is going to decorate it. Jesus is going to set it up. Jesus is going to sort it out for us. He's the one who's going to do it. I, I don't know whether this is metaphoric or literal. But if it was literal, I imagine different rooms would be different ways because he knows who we are. So for Kerry Cressy, who I don't think is here, game, gaming's all around. PlayStation, Xboxes, every single part of it. He'd love it. Andy Bryson, who I think he's bobbing around with even outside. A room, wall, books, of walls of books everywhere. And for certain 
one of my daughters, unicorns, ev unicorns everywhere. Now, I'm, this is not a theological point, but if, if there is a place where unicorns could exist, surely heaven should be it. He's preparing a room for us. Imagine that. If it was an actual unicorn in the room in heaven. If you loved them. I mean, I wouldn't be first if there was a unicorn in my room. The point is this. He's doing the hard work to prepare a place that is going to be awesome for us. He's doing it. No wonky windowsills. No wonky blinds. He's preparing for us. And he's sorting us out. And that eternal confidence speaks to our trouble in the now. Because whatever your room looks like, whatever your space looks like in this world, however broken down, however crumbled, however wonky, we know that in heaven there's a place that is perfect, that is being prepared for us. He's doing that. What else do we read in verse 3? He is coming back to take us to be with him. He's coming back to take us to be with him. Now the best bit of being a dad is not being the boss. Sometimes that's pretty cool. Do what I say because I'm the boss. It's not the best bit of being a dad. Watching our girls play together, that's great. It's fun. Seeing them grow, seeing them achieve things, seeing them learn things, seeing their character change. It's, it's all good, but it's not the best bit. The best bit of being a dad is being with my kids. It's relationship. It's knowing them and loving them and being loved back. That's the best bit of being a dad. What do we think is the fundamental reality of heaven? Not its complexity, not its broadness, not its comprehensiveness, not its fullness. What's the essence of it? Now I think, and John Piper would agree, because I've listened to him preach on this passage. <laughs> they're not his illustrations, though. They're mine. He didn't, he didn't behave like a chicken <laughs> in his. What is the essence of heaven? Being with Jesus. Being with Jesus. What's the essence of being a dad? Being with my kids. What's the essence of heaven? Being with him. He's coming back to bring us to heaven so that he, we can be with him. So that we can be with him. We can know him more intimately and more closely than we can ever do in this world. We can understand and see what he's truly like. We look and read and understand. He's amazing and wonderful, but the revelation and the depth of understanding we'll have in heaven will mean that he's even more amazing to our understanding and to our sight and to our ears and to every part of us. He'll be amazing. And again, this calms the storm. This changes the perspective. This makes us think in different ways. It puts a different idea over our life, a different prospect, a different context, a different perspective. And that's what he's doing for the disciples. I'm coming back to bring you to be with him. One of their greatest concerns, one of their greatest problems was that he said he was going away. They'd spent three years living with him, sleeping with him, brushing their teeth with him. They knew him. And he said he was going away. Their hearts were troubled. He said this, I'm going to come back and bring you to be with me. It calms the 
the storm. It speaks to our trouble. But then there's a conversation that occurs with Thomas. Again, classic Thomas. Jesus says, you know the way. You know the way. Do you, do you ever have a situation where people say to you, oh, you know, you know, you know, <laughs> you know, that shop on Eccleshall Road, the one with the funny writing and the thing in the window. I was like, no, I don't know. You know, you know. No, I don't know it. If I knew, I'd say I know, but I said I don't know it. You know. No, I don't know it. If I did, I would say I do know it. And Thomas saying, Jesus, I don't know it. Jesus saying, you know. He said, I don't know it. We've read it. Jesus already told him that I'm coming back to take you to be with him. But, but Jesus has to be more explicit. Because Thomas is a little bit dull. And we are a little bit dull sometimes. We make things too complex. We make things too difficult. You see, Thomas is processing life. He's processing Jesus, he's processing himself with wrong ideas, and Jesus has to come and address that explicitly. He's been subtle. He needs to be direct. Now, I don't know exactly what's going on in Thomas's mind, but I know what has gone on in my mind and my heart, and I'm speaking to others. I know what goes on in our minds and hearts when we think about life and eternity and salvation and what it's all about. You see, sometimes we can process life and we think it's like a maze. Has anyone ever been in a physical maze? Whether you're trying to get into the middle, you've got to try different routes every time, haven't you? Is this the right way? Is this, oh, it's a dead end. Oh, is this the right way? Oh, no, it's not. I've, is this the right way? And there's a sense in which Thomas and ourselves, maybe we're thinking about it, about life and eternity and salvation. Maybe we're thinking it's like a maze. We've got to find the right route. I'm going to try loads and loads and loads of different things to see if I find the right way. Or maybe it's like an escape room. Has anyone ever done an escape room? Not many. I've done an escape room. Elsie's done an escape room. It's exciting. (laughs) Not on my watch. The escape room I did, it was all trying to scare you. You were blindfolded, handcuffed, chained up, sat in a box. It was, oh, we just found it hilarious. You meant to be scared, but it was. Anyway, one of, the, one of the clues, we got the clue, we opened the box, opened the treasure chest, had to get some stuff outside to put it, put it down, and then the voice came out, um, you've missed something in the box. That's right, okay. I was, ne- I was nearest the box, so I'll get it out. Opened the box, there was a man inside who went, Rah! and... That's the second time in my life I've screamed like a girl. <laughs> the, the, the pitch was astounding. And I got my two mates at uni there. I'm trying to like, look impressive. No way. That was it. It scared the life out of me. The point of escape room is this. You've got to use your head. You've got to think deeply. You've got to think well. You've got to find the clues to try and get a way out. We're trapped. Are we trapped in this life? And we're trying to think it through. Trying to get ahead around things. Trying to process it. If I just think a bit better or think more deeply then I'll find a way. I'll find a way out. I'll work it out and I'll know what salvation and eternity is like. Or maybe you're approaching life like a test. Who's ever done a test before? If you've not done a test, this this helps me know you're engaged. And what you've just done is told me that only 10% of people are actually listening. (laughs) It's not been very encouraging for me. Should we try again? Who's done a test Wow, everyone, including Lily. Not on my watch, what have you been doing? Right, Lily? 
What is the test? It's trying to work out, are we good enough? Are we good enough? Is that how we're thinking about life? Is it a test? How are we doing the right things? Are we behaving in the right way? How we pass the test? Can I get through? Can I get through to heaven? Will I be acceptable? Will I pass the test? These are perhaps some things that are going through Thomas's mind because he doesn't know how to get there. He doesn't know how to get to be with Jesus in heaven. He doesn't know how to secure his eternal destination. Maybe that speaks to some of us here. Maybe we're thinking about life it being a maze or an escape room or a test. These are all wrong ideas. And Jesus at this moment comes in to destroy, to annihilate and absolutely reduce to rubble these ideas because none of them lead to Jesus. None of them lead to salvation. None of them help us escape ourselves and our sin and our lives. None of them. And this is when Jesus comes. This is where he comes. And this is the context. This is his moment when he's breaking into all these wrong ideas. All these wrong ways of thinking about the salvation. And it's, it's so beautiful. It's so wonderful. And he comes and says this. I, I am the way. The truth. And the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's saying, Thomas, it's not a test. It's not an escape room. It's not a maze. I'm the way. You see, a better analogy, a better picture is this. Who has ever been lost in a supermarket when you're younger and you can't find your parents and the fear kicks in? It's horrendous. You may have been three or four, and you've no, no idea what to do. You're lost. I can still feel it now. Your heart's beating. The fear kicks in. I'm never, ever going to find my parents. I'm lost. I can't find them. And at that point in time, you're not looking for the exit. You're not looking for the aisle with the pan of on, as tempting as they are. You're not looking for the aisle with the toys so you can distract yourself with them. You're looking for your parents. You're looking for a person. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We run to Jesus. We run to relationship. We run to him. He is our parent in that situation. If we're lost, if you're lost this morning... If you don't know where your life's going, if you don't know how to spend eternity with God, let me tell you, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And you may be a hundred, you may be five, but it's still the same way. It's Jesus. He is the way to the Father. There's no other way. There's no other way. But this does not just speak to our eternal trouble, our eternal destination. This speaks to our everyday battles. It speaks to our moments that are shadows, as Neil was 
telling us before. We're walking through those shadows of mental illness, all those shadows of financial difficulty, all those shadows of relationship difficulties, all those shadows of medical health problems. There are many things that we're walking through. And Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in those moments, in those difficulties, we need to realize this. We need to go back to Jesus' first point. Believe in me also. And that's not just for salvation. That's for every single thing we face in our life. Every single difficulty. Every single trouble. Everything we face. Jesus says this to calm the storm. I am the way. I am the way. The psalmist puts it a different way. In Psalm 142, Isaac, (laughs) look and see, there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge my portion in the land of the living. Now, is he contradicting himself? He's saying, I have no refuge, but you are my refuge. Actually, they're two different words. The first refuge is this. There's no way out. I can't escape. Does it feel like that in the trouble that you're facing? There's no way out. I can't escape it. I can't change my circumstances. I'm out of control. I can't do this. And then when the psalmist says this, you are my refuge, is the place of safety. The place, if you like, where Jesus takes us and grabs us and holds us and says, I will look after you. I will take care of you. I'm your refuge. Jesus says, I'm the way. Whatever you're facing today, whatever trouble, whatever difficulty, we need to see he is our refuge. We have to go to him fundamentally and primarily to him. If you're having a tough time at school, go to him. If your work situation is more challenging than you can deal with, go to him. If you've got relationships that are really difficult to work through, go to him. If you're at home with a small child and it's sometimes overwhelming, go to him. He is your refuge. He is your refuge. He is our salvation. He is the way to the Father. He is the way to the rooms and eternity with him. But he is our refuge in the everyday. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way. Because he has dealt with our sin and our shame. He has dealt with everything that would prevent us from being with God forever. He's dealt with it at the cross. He said, I'm going to go away. I'm going to die. And his death was the means of him being the way. At the cross, all our sin, all our shame is dealt with. There is no hindrance. There is nothing that can stop you from careering into the presence of the almighty God. There's nothing that can stop you from being with Jesus as your refuge because of what Jesus has done at the cross. He is the way. And therefore, we can put our whole weight on him. We can believe in him. We can trust him. We can rely entirely upon him. We can put our whole weight on him as well because he is the truth. Now, the word truth that Jesus uses here is fascinating. 
It means the underlying reality beneath the appearance. The underlying... Sorry. The underlying reality beneath the appearance. Now, let me just demonstrate what this might mean. In a moment, I'm going to put a slide up by Isaac. In a moment, not just yet, important. There are going to be a series of circles on there. I'm going to be three seconds to count how many different colors of circles there are. Okay? Three seconds. No, five. I'll give you five. I'm generous, full of grace. Five seconds to count the different colors of the circles. Are you ready? Let's go. And take it away. Right, who's, who's going to go? Anyone above five? Anyone above five? No? Okay, anyone for five colors? Five. Lily's gone five. Hannah, five. Four. Okay. Three. Two. One. Let's put it back up again. The answer is one. They're all exactly the same color. But they appear to be a different color because of the lines in front of them. It changes our perception of it. They, they are, you can look it up online if you want. <laughs> Trust me, the screen's not, it doesn't depict it great. But that's the situation. They're, they're all exactly the same color. They're identical. What point am I trying to make? Let me just remind myself. (laughs) Got carried away with the optical illusion. It's very exciting. There are things in life that we come across. They're mere appearances. And they can affect how we view God. But Jesus says, I am the truth. He's constant. He's the same. He's always true. Always loving. Always good. No matter what it appears to be like, no matter what circumstances hint at or suggest, no matter how many colored lines come across the circle, the circle still remains the same color. He is true and unchanging, which is why we can put a whole weight on him. All our troubles, life, everything has the appearance of reality, but he is the reality. He's not only the truth, but he's the life. Now, I'm going to get a bit of Dave Gorman on you. I, I, last night, just did a bit of research on Instagram on hashtag the life. So we're going to look at what the world thinks hashtag the life is about. Okay. So we're going to go with the first one. The life. A cute kitten on a chair. Oh, there's loads of those, like animals living the life. Okay. That's not really the life, is it? Next one. We've got a small child on a swing. That's quite exciting, isn't it? And that, for that child at that moment, that is the life. Who, who, tire swing in your garden. That is amazing, isn't it? Next one. This is more typical, isn't it, what we might think of. White sands, turquoise beaches, living the life. That's what it's all about. That's what life's all about. True life is about escaping away to tropical islands, perhaps. Next one. This one scares me. And let me scare you even more. This, originally I thought, oh, it's a little teddy bear party. It's not. It's adults dressed up as bears having dinner. (laughs) That apparently is the life. 
Now, I don't want to knock it. I've never done it myself. Maybe it's more exciting than it looks. But for me, that's a little bit on the scale of weird. <laughs> Last one. Apparently, she's living in the life, but no one's told her face. <laughs> I don't know whether it's about her trainers, carpets, a phone. I don't know what it is, but apparently she is living hashtag the life. My friends, this is the best the world has to offer. Beaches, cute kittens, adult teddy bear parties. <laughs> Jesus says this, I am hashtag the life. I am the life. Whatever pretense, whatever appearance this world has that pretends to be the life, let me tell you this is nothing compared to being in him and being with him. That is the life. That is the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. And we've looked at the power of ideas today. We started there. And we looked at this, this pond that has been troubled. And we looked at how Jesus seeks to change their ideas. And for us today, this morning, Jesus has been doing exactly that. He's been speaking to our trouble. He's been changing our ideas. He's been adjusting them and aligning them with the word of God. He's been speaking to our trouble. So if you are troubled, let Jesus' ideas comfort your heart. And it starts... With him, we put our whole weight on him. We believe in him. It, it continues with him, walking with him, and it ends with him. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Eternity with him. It, let me say this. It is all about him. It's all about Jesus. And the call this morning is to give our lives wholly, completely, and utterly to him. Because he's trustworthy. He's the way. He's the truth. And he's the life. Amen.